Thank you for listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click on Donate. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 210 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. Our title this week is The Faithful or Unfaithful Slave. Our feature text is Sang's Gospel Q 12, 42-46. Who then is the faithful and wise slave whom the master put over his household to give them food on time? Blessed is the slave whose master on coming will find him so doing. Amen. I tell you, he will appoint him over all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day he does not expect and in an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and give him an inheritance with the faithless. Our companion texts are Matthew 25, 45 through 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of his servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away for a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour which he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. There, where there will be, we weeping and gnashing of teeth. Also Luke 12, 42 through 46, the Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give him their food and allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming, and then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour that he's not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Let's talk about a, uh, just for a moment, the, the slavery and Jesus first this week. Luke sums up Jesus' gospel in Luke 4.18 with the phrase, To set the oppressed free. And Jesus was a prophet of the poor who who called those who exploited them to a radical wealth redistribution and to embrace solidarity with them. He called those at the helm of an exploitative economic system uh, to account, and and he spoke truth to power to the degree that the elites ultimately worked to see Jesus uh, executed. And yet, this week's saying... uh, foregrounds one of the challenges with elevating Jesus and his teachings in our society today. Jesus never spoke one word against slavery. And this silence uh, was used as a history. It's used by, by, it was used by Christians in the U.S. to justify uh, Christianity while they held tight to slavery. Moses Stewart of Andover Seminary in Massachusetts, he, he wrote that abolitionists, quote-unquote, must give up their New Testament authority or abandon the fiery course uh, which they are pursuing. And you can see uh, Mark Knoll's book, The Civil War, Theological Crisis, um, and, and uh, the Stephen and Janice Bros lectures in the Civil War era. I'll put a link to that in, in, in this week's uh, e-site. But actually, Knoll's volume is especially helpful in understanding 
what's happening today too when people call for for social change for minorities and are accused of being against the the clear teachings of scripture you'll you'll find this statement in 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 Mark Knoll's book on the other front nuanced biblical attacks on American slavery faced rough going precisely because they were nuanced This position could not simply be read out of any one biblical text. It could not be lifted directly from the page. Rather, it needed patient reflection on the entirety of the scriptures. It required expert knowledge of the historical circumstances of the ancient Near East and Roman slave systems, as well as actually existing conditions in the slave states. And it demanded that sophisticated interpretive practice replace a commonsensically literal approach to the sacred text. It's it's a great book. If, you, if you'd like to, once again, uh, just have some help in understanding some of the pushback against the social changes that, that Christians are, uh, some Christians, uh, a minority of Christians, are pushing for today and, and getting a much larger pushback um, um, from other Christians against the, accusing them of being against the clear teachings of, of Scripture. This, this has happened again, or it's happened before. It happened uh, uh, with slavery, and we're seeing that same trend uh, that same occurrence, that same dynamic happen uh, today. But regardless of how one explains Jesus's references to slavery and servanthood, the reality remains the same. And enslavement culture is at the heart of some of Jesus's strongest parables about a, a new social order. And, and what can we glean from this week's saying in spite of its its cultural context in slavery? Well, as we covered last week, I think much is lost when we immediately apply sayings such as this uh, to a future second coming of Jesus rather than to the unexpected nature of the social vision that Jesus shared during his life. Jesus emerged among the exploited poor class in his society, announcing the return of Yahweh's liberating presence among them. This was a deeply uh, Jewish paradigm, the kingdom or the reign of God is what he called it. And he called for the evidence of this presence to be expressed in his listeners taking responsibility for each other's care. And this is the centerpiece of this parable, even in the regrettable context of slavery. The master put the slave over the household to give the rest of the household food. And the slave's job was to distribute justice. It was a distributive justice to make sure everyone had enough, to make sure no one had too much. And if someone else would, especially if someone else was going without. And the Jewish tradition is full of rich veins uh, of prophets and sages calling for distributive justice. Distributive justice is what the prophets called for. Distributive justice is what Jesus also called for. And distributive justice is the choice that lies before us still today in our day. Distributive justice calls us to become a people-oriented society. Uh, John Dominic Crossan, he he writes in his book, The Greatest Prayer, on page three, Jesus' distributive justice vision derives from the common experience of a well-run home, household, or family farm. If you walked into one, 
How would you judge the householder? Are the fields well-tended? Are the animals properly provisioned? Are the buildings adequately maintained? Are the children and dependents well-fed, clothed, and sheltered? Are the sick given special care? Are responsibilities and returns apportioned fairly? Do all have enough, especially that? Do all have enough? Or to the contrary, do some have far too little while others have far too much? It is that vision of the well-run household, of the home, fairly and equitably and justly administered that the biblical tradition applies to God. God is the householder of the world house, and all those preceding questions must be repeated on a global and cosmic scale. Do all God's children have enough? If not, and the biblical answer is not, how must things change here below so that all God's people have a fair and equitable and just proportion of God's world? The Lord's Prayer proclaims that necessary change as both Revolutionary Manifesto and Hymn of Hope. And that's his book, once again, The Greatest Prayer on the Lord's Prayer. And today, we live in a global society uh, where right now, uh, six men have as much wealth as half the world's population. And I'll put a link uh, to an article on that in the East Side as well. But this past week, American linguist, philosopher, cognitive scientist, historian, social critic, and political activist Noam Chomsky, he released a, a new book on this topic, Requiem for the American Dream, The Ten Principles of Concentration of Wealth and Power. And this is Chomsky's first major book on the subject of income inequality. And honestly, I'm looking forward to reading it. I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to reading it. And the statement we considered in our heart group last week from Dr. King also applies. Uh, This is, again, King's speech beyond Vietnam, April 4th, 1967. Uh, Increasingly, by choice or by accident, this is the role our nation has taken, the role of those who make peaceful revolution impossible by refusing to give up the privileges and pleasures that come from the immense profits of overseas investments. I am convinced that if we are to get on the right side of the world revolution, we as a nation must undergo a radical revolution of values. We must rapidly begin with the the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. When machines and computers, profit motives, and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. Jesus called us into relationship with each other in a way that makes a tangible difference in how privilege, power, resources, profits, property, and anything else that we need for survival and thriving are distributed to everyone justly. Jesus's worldview was one where God causes the sun, remember, to shine and the rain to fall on all alike. That's Matthew 5, 45. And today, we have to learn to recognize or learn to name and to and, and to work to reverse systems that prevent rain and sunshine, quote unquote, or resources um, from reaching some people while being funneled off um, inexorbitantly to, to, to others. And I want to talk about one thing also at the end of this week, the, the violent ending of this week's saying. This week's saying unequivocally ends quite violently, and I do find it troubling. I don't find, I don't believe in a, in a a God who's going to cut people into pieces if they don't do what that God says. I do believe that Jesus was reasoning from cause to effect 
in parable form. And what history now tells us is that the exploited poor of Jesus' day did violently revolt against the elites in Jerusalem, and they went on to take up arms and revolt against Rome itself as well. And the, and the Roman backlash in, in 70 CE was merciless. Jerusalem in its entirety was destroyed. The entire household, quote-unquote, was laid waste. And if Jesus saw this coming, I, I can understand his trying to warn them about the violence that lay ahead of them. But but here's the catch. The catch wasn't that the poor were finally able to take back what had been taken from them. Um, no, poor and rich alike were annihilated by Rome in 70 CE. So, so threats of violence, they didn't motivate those who dominated them to change. What motivates me today and, and, and what I think is a, a much more powerful motive to live into the teachings of Jesus is seeing my interconnectedness with others and, and heeding the call to engage in relationship with others. And compassion is, is, is a far greater motivator for me than fear of future loss or hope of future gain. And, and this may be the point of this week's saying, we're all in this together. The choices that we make uh, affect us all. And although they affect us differently, we all have to share this planet that we call home. A dear friend of mine, um, and I'll put a link to her blog in the East site, said to me recently, we all get clean air or we all get dirty air. And, and that's true. We are all inescapably uh, connected. We, we inescapably share space with each other. And we have the choice to, to share this space in a way that makes sure everyone is taken care of or, or, or not. And, and that there's a lot to ponder in this week's saying in, in that context. Who then is the faithful and wise slave whom the master put over his household to give them food on time? Blessed is the slave whose master on coming will find so doing. Amen. I tell you, he will appoint him over all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of the slave will come on a day that he does not expect and an hour that he does not know and will cut him to pieces and give him inheritance with the faithless. A heart group application this week. This week as a group, I want you to consider the following statement by Dr. King at uh, Western Michigan University. He said, now the other myth that gets around is the idea that legislation cannot solve the problem and that it makes no great role to play in this period of social change because you've got to change the heart and you can't change the heart through legislation. You can't legislate morals. The job must be done through education and religion. Well, there's half truth involved here. Certainly, if the problem is to be solved, then in the final sense, hearts must be changed. Religion and education must play a role in changing the heart. But we must go on to say that while it may be true that morality cannot be legislated, behavior can be regulated. It may be true that the law cannot change the heart, but it can restrain the heart less. It may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can keep him from lynching me. And I think that's pretty important also. So there's a need for executive orders. There's a need for judicial decrees. There's a need for civil rights legislation on the local scale within states and on the national scale from the federal government. That's de December 18, uh, 1963. I want you to discuss uh, this week uh, what you perceive to be the interim goals and the long-term goals in this statement by King. And, and what do the methods of working towards the interim goals involve, 
of, of preventing people from doing harm and, and making sure distributive justice is practiced? And what does engaging the long-term work of changing hearts actually look like? And then pick an interim and a long-term method. Both of these, what do these methods look like? You've just discussed that. Pick one of each and, and put it into practice this week as a group. Again, thank you each of you for checking in with us this week. Uh, also, I want to take a moment and thank all of you who support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries and especially this podcast. It, it's people like you who enable us to exist and to be a positive resource in our world in the, the work of survival and resistance and liberation and restoration and transformation. And if you're new to Renewed Heart Ministries, we are a not-for-profit group that's informed by the sayings of Jesus, uh, the historical Jewish Jesus of Nazareth, and, and we're passionate about centering our values and ethics in the experiences of those on the undersides and margins of our societies. And you, you can find out more about us by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Who is RHM uh, uh, tab there at the top left. And if you'd like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, you can make a one-time gift or you can become a monthly contributor by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com again and clicking on the Donate tab at the top right of our homepage. Or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And make sure that more than this, that you sign up for our free resources. Um, you can access those on our website. We have a monthly newsletter also that we actually mail out to people through the mail. And there's just so much, much more on there. There's a ton of resources on that site. And remember, everything we do here is for free. And all, our, all of your support uh, helps us be able to provide that for free. And anything that we receive beyond our annual budget. We also pass on to other not-for-profits making systemic and personal differences in the lives of those that are less privileged in the status quo. And for those of you, again, who are already supporting our work, thank you. I just can't thank you enough. Uh, together, we are making a difference, making our world a safer, just, more compassionate home uh, for us all. Keep living in love, and remember, I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. <music>